Hi, Jackie. Welcome back. Thank you, Adam. Nice to be nice to be back. Yeah, and Jackie is pronounced perfectly. Yes. Yeah. What I learned the C is J. So now you are yeah. Java compatible guest. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what we learned the last time is um, that um, you were indirectly the Tor inventor and uh, directly log for J uh, inventor or creator and. Uh, How it happened was interesting. So what I understood, there was an IBM research project and the application itself um, was, I would say, not that successful. But what happened is everyone became interested in the logging framework inside the application. Was it, is it correct? Um, that's correct, yes. And I think the, uh, uh, the, the project itself, it somehow... It was related to what we do, what we call today uh, two-factor authentication, mm -hmm. which is a huge thing in itself. So, uh, uh, so I don't know if I, I don't know the history of the <clears throat> what happened to the Semper project, this European finance project, mm -hmm. but um, maybe it was also huge, hugely successful. I don't okay. know. But how the I mean, how people or developers became aware of Log4j, which was inside the project, or maybe it was not even called Log4j back then, right? No, it was called uh, ZRL Log for Research uh, Zurich Research Lab Log. Okay. ZRL Zurich Research Lab Log, and so I uh, lobbied quite uh, in, in my department for it to become uh, open-sourced. Mm -hmm. And it took a long time. It took maybe six months for it to be open-sourced. And it was... Uh, so we got the authorization from some higher-up place in, uh, at IBM. Mm -hmm. And um, it was published on IBM Developer Works. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was, uh, it was published there, but the link... For the downloads, what was located at at the at the lab, and I could see the logs. So the first week, there were maybe eight people uh, trying it out, and the second week it was fifty, uh, and at one point become it became hundred per day, and then uh, maybe several hundred per day, and you know you could see progress. And what was what was interesting is that people started contributing. Mm -hmm. So I got patches. And, What was the first uh, patch? You it, remember? Uh, the first patch was, I think, it was either file uh, file appender or rolling rolling file appender. Mm -hmm. I think that was the first patch. No, but this is a bigger one. So rolling file appender. I mean, what it means is that it rotates the files, right? Yes. Okay. And um, I don't remember the exact patch, but I was like, wow, this is like people doing the work, all the work for me, yeah. you know, this is great. <laughs> and how you tested that? I mean, was there like, you know, because it, you got the patch, so, you know, back then, so how you did, how to how you verified the quality of the code or what you thought, you know, how to integrate the patch into the project? So um, I would say I read the code, mm -hmm. I tried to understand it the best I could, And if it made sense, uh, I integrated it. And then, you know, at, at the, at there's a point in time when the project is, or the code is sufficiently big, you can't test everything. Mm -hmm. you, you need to, it, this, it needs to be automated. So um, at, at around the same time, I read uh, 
um, uh, a book on on unit Kent Beck Kent Ken Kent Beck Beck mm. Kent Beck's uh, um, book on on unit testing. You know where he talks about uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, bowling scores, bowling. Mm-hmm. There's this bowling application mm-hmm. that he tests, and it it made a lot of sense to me to to write unit tests, mm-hmm. and that's what I start started to do. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, uh, the tests were um, done. You know, it takes a lot of experience to do to realize that tests are as important for. How should I say this? Tests need to be maintained, and if the test code is not written for maintenance in uh, initially, or you know, mm-hmm. uh, it it takes as much time to make to maintain the unit test as the real code. And this is what I observed today. I spend a lot more time maintaining the tests than the actual code. Mm-hmm. But this allows me to, um, when I need to change something radically, I can actually do mm-hmm. it. You know, I can actually do it and uh, uh, and be confident that if there's a release, that it will actually work for, for the users. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, Which is a huge advantage. What, yeah. How I see unit tests is um, a little bit different. It's less formal. So before unit tests, what uh, J unit before J unit, what I, what I did, mm-hmm. I brought um, main methods because uh, you have to execute, you know, your software somehow, and uh, otherwise you don't know whether it's working. And now what I'm doing, I'm I'm misusing unit tests as a executable app. You know, to to test my mm-hmm. ideas, and then uh, sometimes even I write the entire logic in the unit test, and then move it out to production code, and and then the unit test just refers to the logic if it's more complicated. So I'm I'm actually it's maybe an extreme form of test driven, but uh, I I have the feeling that uh, for complex logic I actually saving time with unit tests. What um, but but I have no unit tests, integration tests, and system tests. So the system tests in my project, I'm not building, you know, libraries. I'm building more services, apps, something like microservice mm-hmm. or monolith. So the unit tests are more for complex logic, and the system tests are calling from outside. So they verify, you know, the API of the system. But uh, unit tests are a great time saver for me, but I can imagine in your case, you need uh, uh, lots of code coverage because... You would like to make patching, you know, and contribution easy. So you need to know this is different thinking. Um, it's not actually <clears throat> the the goal is not to uh, make patches easy, is to ev- avoid hiccups. You know, when <clears throat> uh, mm-hmm. you can have. Uh, I I really don't care about code coverage because yeah. uh, the. <clears throat> Some there there is some code in in uh, logback which is tested maybe I don't know ten different ways little pieces of code and some other code which is not tested at all but the the the, the pieces which are tested a lot they are the critical ones yeah right? and you need to <clears throat> this the critical uh, pass need to be tested for different uh, inputs yeah. and like bogus inputs and. And also, uh, there is this uh, whole uh, idea now, um, which is kind of new, is to resist to hacking. Um, mm-hmm. That is also a consideration. Mm-hmm. 
uh, which is which is kind of new um, mm-hmm. new to me at least. Um, question regarding unit tests. Um, what uh, I did long time. I had a Java class, and the unit test class ended with test. Uh, and then what I started to do is um, I have multiple unit test classes which refer to the one class with different purposes or views. And uh, this is good, but also bad because you get lots of you know unit test classes which refer to one class. And it's uh, sometimes hard to not to find the relation, but I think this this approach better because at the beginning it was no one class one test, but the class can get huge. And you know you will have to separate the different aspects uh, in in the class. Are you doing something similar with the unit test? Um, so let let me open a parenthesis of something of things not to do. Okay. Right. So if a few years ago I was uh, very enthusiastic about Scala, so I had tests written in Scala, right, and like whole library. Well, not, it wasn't that big. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And at the same time, we had um, uh, um, um, a configuration system written in Groovy. So in the same project, uh, I had Scal- Java, Scala, and Groovy mm-hmm. built built at the same mm-hmm. time. <laughs> and you know, at, at one point, when the maintainers of the uh, the Scala um, <clears throat> Compiler uh, in in Maven didn't the, the Scala plugin didn't work. And it, basically, what I'm trying to say it was really a lot of headache. Yeah. So I had to migrate all the Scala tests to uh, to Java. And the Scala test the, the, there was a hierarchy, very quite a shallow hierarchy of tests, like one main class, one um, um, <clears throat> uh, parent class, and a few uh, child mm-hmm. classes, but uh, or the derived classes. But uh, usually the hierarchy, class hierarchy for my unit tests are quite shallow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I, I, yeah. Uh, exactly. So now what also interests me, what you mentioned last time is that, you know, the filtering in Log4j uh, was uh, the hierarchical thing was uh, caught lots of attention. Um, why? I mean, because it's an internal detail. It seems like it solved a problem and it was like, Almost an invention, a new something new, right? So why back yes. then everyone was was that excited about you know hierarchical filtering in Log4j? Uh, because this allows you to um, to filter very simply large chunks of logs, right? You can say I'm not interested in whatever is is uh, um, spewed out uh, or generated by such and such. Uh, Classes, so you can say I'm not interested in what is generated by Spring, and you de- this deactivate org dot Spring, and it's like very easy thing to mm-hmm. do, and you get you disable whole. Um, you can disable logs by locality, right? So I mean, the killer feature is then you know the mapping between Java packages and filtering, right? If you have nice, yes, stru- the code is nicely structured. Um, you have the direct relation. Uh, you can you can use your structure from a code, you know, to configure almost conventional over configuration the log4j setting. Yes. Um, another thing, in um, forgot to answer uh, to ask this. So this was these uh, ZRL uh, Zurich Research Logging Labs. Yes. Yeah. When yes. do you rename yeah. that to log4j? So how it happened? Huh. 
So, yeah, this is funny because the someone at, at IBM didn't like ZRL log. They wanted to, yeah, they, they basically said, okay, this should be named log4j mm-hmm. uh, at, at some point uh, because at the time IBM used to suffix their packages or their software by 4j. Mm-hmm. And that's what um, that that's that's the reason. Because back then everything had to be for J, right? Yes. Okay. And um, so it was open source earlier and renamed, or was it the same time open sourcing and renaming? Um, I think it was at the same okay. time. Yeah. Back to filtering, because uh, I also spent time back then with exception handlings, logging, and structure. And uh, how my projects always look like. So we had, there were different names for it, but mostly we called that business components. And I think I started with this around 2000 or something like this. So it was like um, the Java packages on top level in a business project, or now even the libraries. They always have um, meaningful names from the project perspective. So domain related names, right? So if I open Log4j, I would expect, you know, to find filters, appenders or whatever, but not... Uh, I don't know, data access uh, objects or whatever. And this was the same in my projects, but we had not, you know, appendix filters or whatever. We had rather than, you know, accounts, shopping carts, and I don't know, orders. So, and all the packages have had substructure, did vary, but the recent 10 years, I used a you no know, boundary control entity. Before then, we had like facade, I think behavior, domain, there were different flavors. But the cool story is, if we have the packages, I could do something like this, like, I'm only interested in business transactions logging and I would just see, you know, the filter just to the uh, domain object dot boundary and I could just see what this logger is emitting, you know. I could uh, I could map directly the structure of my application and this was meaningful because if I know that the package has domain meaning and the boundary uh, like accepts calls from outside for business project means I'm actually monitoring business transactions then if I, if, if I activate this. So... Um, this was interesting. So this was the first thing. The second thing we, uh, we said from the beginning, uh, log levels are a mess, unusable in projects because of the nature of business project. You have to imagine there were you no know, 20 different companies contributing to the same project and every developer had a different idea, you know, what a log level is. So, okay, uh, all log levels are forbidden. What we do is uh, we think, you know, what to use at all. And we have something like system exceptions, which happens, you know, if the system, uh, let's say out of memory or something, uh, out of memory is too much, but uh, let's say uh, we have a problem with threats, the 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 the, the, um, the pool is, is empty. These are system exceptions. So, okay, system exceptions are always mapped to log uh, for J logging, let's say critical or severe. Mm-hmm. And the business exceptions are, Actually, they can happen, and they are part of the use cases, so we map them to warning. And so what we did is we had exact mapping, you know, between exceptions and uh, and uh, and the log levels, and what we also had in the project, we said, okay, and everything else is info, whatever, but debug and, and, and so forth is for very specific uh, uh, cases. And this worked better because before then, you know, the developers use whatever is necessary to see the log outputs in the, in, in the log files. So... Um, this is how I use the log levels and the filters uh, in my projects in the past. So uh, just to report back, what's your so? Uh-huh. So you're you're saying 
exceptions were logged at level uh, error level, and and the rest was logged at the debug level. That's no, no, what no. you're saying. Or? What uh, what I said is uh, we had two kinds of exceptions. Uh, one, right. this was in most you know enterprise business like projects. One exception was uh, like system exception. It was technical, like uh, for instance, you know there are no enough JDBC connections, let's say, to a database. Right. And the other okay. exception was business exception, like you cannot order because your input is invalid. So like bad okay, request. Okay. Right. So we mapped the system exception to to the highest possible level, se severe or critical, as I remember, and the business exception to warning. Then we said, right. okay, this this th this two are taken. So you can, of course, you know, directly write the, the the critical level because um, how is it actually called? Severe, right? The highest is severe in Log4j. No, it's... Um, so there is a, um, error and then above error is... Uh, what is it called? Uh, we have to ask the committer of, of Log4j what it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it critical? I think... Yeah, it's... I, I don't... I'm, yeah. Since it, so this critical level was eliminated in SLF4J, right? Because the the idea of critical or whatever its equivalent in Log4J is was that you should stop uh, the application. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the, the logic, and and um, and then it, it seemed unreasonable to have the. Log4j does not have the authority to stop the application, exactly. right? But what you did with the critical yeah. or the highest was um, we used a specific appender. And then I remember we reported to Tivoli, for instance, IBM, you know, so we created tickets automatically. So if, if, ah, if something, okay. you know, the highest exception happened, and if you would use that, uh, t tickets were automatically created. So what we should actually test it. And the, uh, the uh, business exceptions were warning, and uh, the uh, logging was business logging. So we say, if you log something, you have to have minifung logs, which is really hard. And, and my personal opinion is logging is as hard as writing good Java doc. So there is, uh, you have to know to spend some time to think what you are doing. Absolutely. And uh, even sometimes I say, if you really would like to write good logs, actually, we have to write unit tests to see whether we'll find the logs you know, in the output. Because if you log a lot and we cannot find it in production, it's completely pointless. So um, yes. we used the, uh, the info, I think, uh, for, for more or less, you know, how to call it, even audit. So what the ap application is doing, you know, like, like uh, I'm here and here, but what was, and I always hated, I never understood, like, um, for instance, like uh, writing, you know, an interceptor and the interceptor would write everything because I said, okay, this is mine. Um, I don't like to see everything. I was here and I was here and I was here. There's a stack trace basically. So we can create stakeless, stake, stake, stack trace every second and it will see the entire stack trace in the log files. What I would like to see is, you know, the severe errors, then the business errors because it's anomaly if we get lots of input errors and then everything else is just, you know, info. And, and then we talk about the remaining log levels. But suddenly what happened is, all the log levels, log4j levels, got their meaning, you know. They were meaningful. So um, no one just randomly, you know, wrote, uh, wrote statements to, let's say, debug or whatever, just to see the output. And if they wanted to, the expectation was if we go to production, we will, you know, switch from debug back to whatever. So this was the, the idea. So we tried not to misuse, you know, log4j for profiling. It's most like, almost like, you know, 
um, a formal way to to make it more, I would say, operational, uh, so to, to increase the quality of operations, maybe. So, what I think what your what come what I uh, synthesize from what you're saying, their logging can be used for two different related but different purposes. Mm -hmm. One is for uh, uh, the programmer's um, benefits, mm -hmm. and the other one is for uh, more a business person's benefit exactly. or who are, or support uh, people who are doing support. And they need to have data, for example, if it's um, you're trying to understand why a person cannot uh, uh, log on um, uh, a client. I mean, uh, for example, if they're trying to, uh, uh, if it's a secure application where they received some QR code and they're trying to connect to, the, to, to a banking application. So there are many different steps. Mm -hmm. uh, and you need to correlate all these steps together uh, and steps which might even occur at different times. Mm -hmm. So maybe uh, there's a first step occurring in the, in the beginning of the month mm -hmm. and then a second step occurring maybe a week later. Mm -hmm. You know, you sent a letter in the beginning of the month, the, the letter is received and the client is trying to connect. So there's this, uh, this problem of long-term um, uh, process mm -hmm. And you're trying to debug as a support person that process, and that should have, a, a, like, like you were saying, an audit mm -hmm. meaning in, in audits or in support. And that's a different uh, that's a different use case. And I think uh, Log4j was not very good at that. Mm -hmm. I must. So there is um, in, in Logback. I mean, it has been. Uh, many years now that I'm trying to add functionality for audit logs or I don't know if that's the right term, uh, business business logs. And so in, in SLF4J now you have uh, key value pairs that you can add in, into, your, um, uh, into your logs. You can also, there's the MDC, uh, the you know, map that, that mm -hmm. yeah. But um, um, Jackie, this was yeah. not that it was not a business. And actually, all my projects were business project. I, I, I spent only a little time, you know, in 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 building libraries. And if in a business project, if you think about this, everything is some kind of business because the operations, you know, will see the logs. This support is always there, or sometimes even call centers, and tickets have to be escalated. And uh, and uh, what I what we just did is we try to add additional meaning to the log levels. So we knew if we see, you know, info, it has this meaning. And if we see warning, it's this meaning and critical also via this meaning. So so at the beginning of the project, we had a mapping between the exceptions and and uh, and log levels and what is actually inside. And before this, it was like, you know, randomness. Every developer just used whatever log level and there was no unique strategy so we couldn't effectively filter uh, use the filters because uh, because uh, if we know decided to lock this level sometimes there were important messages and sometimes not that important so we we always had a convention and this was one of the convention which worked well mm -hmm. um so okay so doing some uh, mapping between 
business use case and levels, it's it's fine. But the 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 number of levels that you have at your disposal is quite limited. So there's another way of uh, of having this cross cutting, adding uh, meaning, cross cutting meaning is using markers. Mm-hmm. So in 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 log back until recently, you could have one marker, mm-hmm. and a marker is just a a tag, mm-hmm. right? A tag you can say, you know, this is database related, and you add the DB tag to whatever logs that you want. And in in recent versions, you can have uh, multiple tags. Very good. So you can have the same log tags as many as many tags as you want, plus a level, of mm-hmm. course. And this allows you to to filter using as many concerns as you want. Mm-hmm. This could be a, also a solution, but we use, instead of tagging, we use the package structure, right? So using the package structure, we exactly knew where it comes from, and we had uh, business components and, uh, and uh, systems, we call that. So for instance, the database was different beast because I spent my time in Java and MicroProfile and the database was JPA, Entity Manager was completely covered you know, by the Entity Manager and we were outside of that usually. But um, it's interesting, so the, the text sounds really interesting, but um, now Log4j1. So what interests me mm-hmm. now, uh, you, you did the Log4j1 and then I was aware that there is a Log4j book where you can buy it, I bought it, was a nice book, and I was impressed that someone called Jackie uh, creates a business, you know, with selling books. And I think your official strategy back then was you are supporting, uh, you know, the open source project by selling the books, right? This is, at least I read an interview, I remember this right now, uh, on java.net, I think, with you. And I said, this is actually really interesting. So uh, this is like a Java startup, right? So how you got the idea and, and how it happened? So you quit IBM and then started, you know, to work a lot for j full-time or... Um, so I, I uh, uh, decided to return to the French-speaking part. Uh, I decided to leave Zurich uh-huh. and decided to, um, to return to Lausanne. And um, I got job interviews. It, uh, so I, I started doing um, uh, consulting at a, at a software company. And and logging was a basically kind of a side job. And you know, when you're uh, twenty or under thirty, let's say you have a lot of energy, so you can like do multiple things in the same day, and it sounds okay. I mean, it's, it sounds feasible. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. And I had a, a, a gap between two um, uh, two uh, two gigs, and I decided to write a book. And I thought, you know, let's give this a try and see if it's, uh, if, if it makes, um, uh, if it's, um, what is it called? Feasible. Uh, makes sense. feasible and economically, uh, interesting. And if you look at, uh, how, if you publish a book, uh, using a regular editor, so it's the Log4j book was self-published, mm-hmm. right? One of the first and self-published book, I think. Back then, it was very rare that someone self-published a book, right? Uh, I, you could do it, but you people wouldn't buy your yeah. book. So a book that is self-published and is sold, that's rare, yes. And, of course, <clears throat> the, 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 the project was doing the, the, uh, the publicity for the mm-hmm. book. So if you are interested in, in learning more about Log4j, buy the mm-hmm. book. Uh, so there's there's a you know selling 
argument there. Um, and the reason for doing that was, be, as an author, you get like maybe 5 or 10% yeah. of the sales price of a book. Almost nothing, yeah. I was also yeah. author, this is, is true, yeah. Uh, and then you, like, you do the, um, the math. Uh, a really good-selling computer book sells around 10,000 mm-hmm. um, copies. Mm-hmm. Uh, copies times four dollars so you know you're maxed at forty thousand dollars let's say and the question is is it worth doing uh, six months at least six months of work for forty thousand dollars and my idea was no it wasn't worth it so i decided to self-publish but when you self-publish you also do have to do the um, the shipping of the books and that takes a lot of time like the packaging I used to go to our local um, uh, post office with like heaps of books and mm-hmm. and uh, and wait at the at the in front of the teller and it's an ongoing joke in our family when we would go to, on vacation I would take a bunch of like a whole uh, um, um, you know set of books and I would go <laughs> to the local post office. <laughs> In, in the mountains, okay. <laughs> in the mountains and, you know, send books. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, people remember it and they, yeah, they make fun of this. But it's, it's a great it's story, local. great memories, right? I mean, this is like... Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but of course, it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's also a, a kind of a burden, yeah. right? Because you have to, you know, if somebody orders a book and you have to react rather quickly mm-hmm. and it's very time-consuming. Mm-hmm. And so I lived. I must say, it it was uh, uh, it was okay for a few years, or two or three years. It was kind of okay, and then the sales started to uh, drop mm-hmm. off. Then I published a PDF. Oh, and of course, um, the initial version of the book was a PDF, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> I didn't have the idea to protect the oh. uh, the the the, um, uh, the the book. So it was available, and it, it is still available on some uh, Chinese or Russian or whatever mm-hmm. uh, sites, and you can download it for mm-hmm. free. And that's a really big problem, mm-hmm. right? Because if somebody can download the book for free, uh, it's much easier than doing that instead of uh, you know going through the hassle of ordering mm-hmm. and so on. So that was... Um, Except someone yeah, that, likes the project, right? Then they should buy it. I mean, this is like, you know... Uh, yes, yeah. But uh, the proportion of, of that, it, it, that's a really interesting question, right? So um, there's people, a lot of people with goodwill, but when they're practical questions, somehow practicality wins. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you, you, um, how many uh, print copies you sold back then? You know it? Roughly. Um, I'm just curious. You reached the 10,000 mark? I think no. I, it was just a little under ten thousand. I think it was maybe six or seven thousand. So, so you like went that. with six thousand books to the uh, post office. Yeah, not not in no, a no, single no, day, but, but over over a period of a few few years. And of course, there were libraries, or yeah, they call them libraries, mm-hmm. right? In uh, uh, bookstores, mm-hmm. sorry, bookstores, which would order maybe forty, fifty books at a time. Okay. So I did similar things. Uh, so I also have published book, but it was directly available. But some bookstores wanted to have the books from me for unknown reasons. So I, I, I also you know sent over the, the books uh, back then, which was interesting. But uh, yeah, we you can do the math. You know, if you if you 
send 10 books a time, the 6,000 books. So you walk 600 times to the, to the post office, right? If it takes uh, mm -hmm. like half an hour, so you spend 300 hours at post office. So you were well known, you know, well known. Uh... <laughs> it was a very big post oh, office. Oh, okay, correct. The, 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 the Lausanne post office is the, is the biggest in Switzerland. Oh, okay, then, so... then it's not a problem. <laughs> if a smaller one would be more interesting, you know, would they, like you, you would yes, go there golden yes, something, a golden medal, you know, as a, as a post client. This, this is actually an interesting story. But I bought a PDF from you. This is possible, right? I, I don't. Yeah, yes, this is what I what I have. This is what I know. Okay, um, we are talking about log4j one. So, what were the features you created between ZRL? I mean, the high level features where you you know the killer use cases or killer features you created in log4j, which were not available at the ZRL ZRL time and were available, you know, at the end of of log4j one. I think the the um, the log4j one was better structured. So you had the, uh, uh, this concept of uh, uh, appenders and appenders had, you, you could attach them to loggers. Uh, a CRL log, I think it only could have, uh, um, uh, just you could attach them to the root logger. I mean, the, the structure was uh, less, less flexible, less, less flexible. And less ordered, I would say. Less it would make it, it was kind of clumsy. Mm -hmm. The um, the log for J one, it Apache had a better structure, and that's that's a big difference. I would say mm -hmm. it was more pluggable and so on. I I don't. It's it has been so so many years ago, and I've written logging framework frameworks maybe four or five times now. So I don't remember remember you know yeah. the exact evolution. But uh, what I remember. Uh, Log4j2 came out, and it used the yes. LMAX disruptor pattern. So I was really curious. Yes. I was like, this is interesting. So what LMAX okay. disruptor is, is like you know ring buffer. And what I think what you did, you can just write the log events to the ring buffer as a byte array, and they will somehow cache them very fast. So, you, so the application can move on. And asynchronously from the other end, you know the, the uh, events were read and stored on, 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 on disk. So this was really, I would say, back then, cutting edge. This was like, if I saw this, uh, this is really great, you know, application or idea to use the LMAX disruptor here. And then LMAX is for London Stock Exchange or something. LM, uh, mm -hmm. And uh, it was, uh, what's called the name of the author of LMAX, you remember? It's Mr. Thompson or something. But uh, the question is, how you got the idea to integrate LMAX disruptor with Log4j2? Oh, this is not me. Uh, this is Ralph Gores. Ah, okay. Uh, Log4j2. I'm not in, related at all to Log4j2. Ah, okay. I didn't knew that. So, uh, so they fork Log4j1 and call it Log4j2, or Log4j2 is completely different? Log4j2 is completely different. And it's interesting because uh, Ralph Gores, he... Okay, so before Log4j2, there was... Uh, so uh, around 2005... Um, Jakarta Commons logging was extremely popular. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you yeah. remember, and but Jakarta Commons logging under certain circumstances would um, class logging loading circumstances, and if there was a an exception, and you tried to log the log, the logging itself would throw an exception, and you would lose the original exception. Mm -hmm. So it was really quite a tricky situation, and. So I spent some time trying to understand why this happened. 
and and the reason was um, this dynamic uh, uh, loading binding system that Jakarta Commons Logging had at the time. And I said, okay, so we need to do something much more simple, much simpler, and much more robust. And this is S SLF4J, right? So it's a, so we can say SLF4J is like uh, Jakarta Commons Logging refactored. Yes, okay. yes. But a much the idea out there was to have a much simpler uh, binding system which would either work or break. But if it worked, you would know that it would work during the lifetime of the application, mm -hmm. which is a nice property to have, right? Because if it breaks early, uh, you can know about it. But if it breaks during critical times, during the lifetime of the application, you actually lose valuable information. Uh, sorry, uh, one question. Were you somehow uh, involved in Jakarta Commons logging or was it complete, you know, different? No, I, I, so Jakarta Commons logging was basically an attempt uh, to integrate, uh, to create a buffer between, uh, not a buffer, but to be compatible with both Log4j1 and Java Util logging. Mm -hmm. This was like a log facade, right. right? So this was like... Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly, but this log for Jakarta Commons logging had this this terrible, but I this very inconvenient feature. It's convenient. It looks convenient. This dynam dynamic lo logging um, loading of uh, uh, the the uh, logging framework or logging backend, but under real time situations in a container JBoss or Tomcat, it would fail quite terribly. So. I there, there, there had to be an answer, a more, more reliable answer to that. And um, so I created SLF4J, and at the time that there was resistance to uh, to adopt SLF4J inside Log4J1, mm -hmm. right? So I said, okay, uh, this, this situation cannot long go on, and I decided at the time to create logback as a native implementation of SLF4J. Okay. And so this this was in 2005, and 2008 through 2010-11, okay, 2008. So for two years and a half, I collaborated with Ralph Gores. And at one point, he suggested that there should be uh, some lookup mechanism inside the message. Mm -hmm. So when you were logging a message, the, the system should be able to look into the message and see if there was more interpretation to be mm -hmm. done. And I resisted to, to this idea. And he said, okay, I'm, you know, I want to, I want to implement this. And he went and implemented Log4J2. Okay. So Log4J2 is kind of uh, 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 the successor of Logback, if you want. Okay. Right. But right now, I could just use log logback directly without SL4J, right? Because you have not... Inter you can, of course. But this makes sense, but because if I'm... You know, why to use Diffaset if I commit, you know, to a simple framework? That would be actually a natural choice to use just log logback directly, right? Um, no, because um, because the idea... So if you look... If you use the uh, SLF4J, you don't lose anything. Uh, by using compared to logback, yeah. it's it's very. I mean, but I have one more dependency in my Maven pom, right? So this is what I'm thinking about right now. Uh, but SLF4J is is used by. You will have SLF4J as a 
as a as a dependency you, because at least one library will have it if you use like you have 20 dependencies at least one of them will have a selection yeah uh, my world is a bit different so for instance uh for few years right now i'm running with uh Quarkus, and what i'm exclusively using is just you know the um micro profile dependencies the um small i micro profile dependencies and the log4j or whatever they are using is hidden by Quarkus. So I don't see this. So usually, you know, um, this was the same story with Payara. Payara used uh, log4j, but uh, I never saw this. So I, it was, I, I don't care. And with Quarkus, it's the same. And uh, if we are running uh, mostly in the clouds right now, so I'm running in serverless mode. And if you're running on Lambda, let's say, then lots of the assumptions we have in Java are no more true because there is no concurrent access to the logs because one Lambda can be only executed by one process. So actually, we have two types of such you know, serverless applications. One is um, like uh, asynchronous Lambda, which listens to Kafka or whatever. And this is so simple that we don't have any dependencies. So um, sometimes I even use system out print line because the logs are aggregated by the cloud, you know. I don't need, I just write format which is recognizable. And, you know, all the filtering and, and separation happens later in CloudWatch. So this is one strategy. And uh, sometimes I use system log. It works. What I don't like about Java user logging, system logging is they write always two, two lines, right? So we have to create a format that writes one line. This is a little bit annoying that they always output two lines. But then it would be perfect. So, and now if I would be, like to have more, now in my situation, I say, okay, the SL4J, this abstraction is no more necessary because in my services, I could just, you know, use log, log back directly if I'm missing something in system on print line because there's no added value to abstract from the logging framework because my logging is greatly simplified, right? Um, well, I, 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 don't, I don't think, I don't agree because the cost of using SLF4J instead of logback is is very the SLF4J API is, is I don't know it's maybe I have it in front of it's me. not about the size it's maybe it's, it's about ah, the okay. amount of dependencies I have to look at right so maintain this is only size I don't care this is even if it is worth one meg it is fast enough I believe it so, uh, size is really this not 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 the problem the problem I would see is you know. If log back is enough, I will just pick log back and uh, if I don't need the facet. And, or I will just, because what you said is, this was interesting, simple SL4J is facet and log back is the native implementation, the first one. For the others, SL4J mm -hmm. acts as a bridge or adapter. So therefore, I say, if I know I'm happy with logback, I would just use logback, right? So this is like the, I don't know whether you're aware of JPA on Hibernate. In some projects, they just use Hibernate and skip JPA. They say, okay, uh, we, we know that we will you know, spend the entire time with Hibernate. So I'm a little bit against that. It's like, what happens if, but uh, there are you no know, different landscape. The projects sometimes get smaller. So I would say, okay, then this is why uh, I'm asking you. But uh, but I have no problem using SL4J. But I was um, I didn't knew, actually, the logback is the native implementation in the SL4J. I, th I thought, you know, logback is an additional possibility to, to, to be used as a, as a uh, logback um, solution. So there are other uh, native implementations. Mm -hmm. there, uh, there's, there is an implementation, native mm -hmm. implementations. I mean, there's an implementation called log event. There's another recent implementation called pena, uh, which, are, which is a direct native implementation. So... Um, I see the use case. Uh, 
What we can do, uh, we have a Lambda which would, which will run locally, you know, so we can start it on my machine to test it. So it could use different implementation than in the cloud with specific formatting, for instance, what I will see, you know. Then I can use SL4J sure. and then sw swap the implementations um, depending in which context. I'm, this is what I see. But if I just, you know, I know I am in one context, then I would say, okay, I would prefer log back or whatever from, from the source, from Jackie. And uh, and say okay, the abstraction not necessary because from the architectural perspective, if I see SL4J, which is a facet, it already implies someone is interested in swapping the logging frameworks. If I would say no logback, only see logback without the facet, it implies to me okay, uh, we tested logback and we are happy with it and we go for it. Now there is there is no use case of swapping the logging frameworks, but. Okay, so so swap, swapping logging frameworks is clearly one use case. There's another one, there's another um, advantage of using SLF4J is that you are you will be only using um, the API which is which is related to logging, which is kind of how, how can I say which is uh, kind of uh, related to what you are trying to do as a as a developer, mm -hmm. right? If you're using the logback um, uh, uh, implementation or API, uh, you can do in the middle of your code somewhere completely unrelated. Ah, you can okay. start configuring logback, okay? Whereas that's something you cannot do with SLF4J. You cannot configure logback using SLF4J. So, so there's it creates if you use SLF4J in your code and and at some single point, you do configuration of logback using an XML file, for example, or some other mechanism. And there's this this uh, um, uh, separation of concerns. Mm -hmm. so there's logging throughout your code, code, and a single at a single point, there's configuration. Okay, this makes sense. So this changes everything. So what you are saying is that SL4J has is an API, and this is narrow or very constrained API. And log log back, it can you know it is a very powerful and uh, and broader API. And if if we are running you know uh, for business apps in my case, so uh, we could have you know like convention we just use SL4J, which is just a minimal logging API. And uh, then we are not you know yeah this is actually a huge use case because if SL4J is nice and you know, nice and small and beautiful. We can say even code reviews, if we find, you know, entry in import logback, and say, okay, what they're doing here? SL4J should be efficient, should be enough, you know, to write logs. So this is what I perfectly see. So it means with SL4J, you created the canonical way how logs has to be written in Java. And this is the simplest possible, you know, uh, simplest possible, how to call it, simplest possible uh, logging yeah, API, right? This is an API, and the logback is the SPI. And uh, what... Uh, what uh, SL4J also comes with is this like adapter layer which implements the API and passes the invocations to incompatible implementations, right? That's true. That's exactly true. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So if I would say I love, you know, SL4J, the simplest possible SL4J implementation will be log4j uh, logback, right? No, there is uh, SLF4J simple. Okay, this would be the simplest one. Uh, and somebody observed recently that oh, this SLF4J simple was a stupid name because SLF4J is yeah. simple logging facade for Java dash simple. It was a horrible name. But yeah, it's now too late to change. So 
Uh, Maven uses, uh, I believe, or used to uh, uh, implement, or had they had a, an implementation very similar to, or directly uh, based on SLF4j simple. So, um, Jakarta Commons happened to up to abstract uh, to have a facade between Java Util logging and log4j1. You had the problems with dynamic binding, and you created SL4j which is a simplified version. And then you say, okay, if we have it, we can you can have an implementation. This was Logback from you. And is Logback related to uh, Java uh, to Log4j1? Um, so I think Logback is very similar to Log4j1. You copied you, you the code or was it clean room? No, I've, I have rewritten... I've rewritten almost everything. How long yeah. it took? Uh, was it faster than Log4j1? Uh, it took me, I think, maybe three weeks or maybe a month to have the first version oh, of Logback. It's not bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the one big difference, I think, was the amount of tests. I I wrote a lot more tests with Logback. Mm -hmm. So the the Logback comes with over one thousand unit tests. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it's 1,000 or 2,000. I mean, it's, it's a lot more than 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 log4j, and logback tests are finer. They have, yeah, they're more te more more uh, different, um, uh, very uh, data input. It's tested with a lot more data input so that it it's, it works in a lot more circumstances, and the test coverage is much big, much larger mm -hmm. with logback. So we covered until logback. This was this what happened. Is is something else you are working right now on logging, or you are done with logging? Uh, I so I don't know if you have heard um, uh, the, uh, uh, the the German Ministry of Economy. Uh, they have this fund for open source projects, mm -hmm. and uh, it's called the Sovereign Tech Technology mm -hmm. Fund, I believe, or Tech Fund. And they have, we have recently signed a contract, a multi-year, two-year contract uh, to, they're investing in, in, uh, in SLF4j logback and, and Reload4j. You know, Reload4j is the um, security uh, fixed version of Log4j1 because mm -hmm. Log4j1 was abandoned at, at, at Apache and still many people are, are using log4j1 so we needed that that there had to be uh, some security uh, plugged um, mm. uh, version of, of log4j1 and I'm working on reload4j as well so there are three projects and this is all uh, financed by uh, the sovereign tech fund okay and this reload it will be like log4j1 x right this is a, like a refactored version of log4j1 it's not refactored. The, the only difference is that uh, since Log4j is a trademark name and Apache as well, so the the uh, no, actually that's not even true. It's it it's uh, um, the name Reload4j is different than Log4j, mm -hmm. okay, but the code is exactly the same. So, so you still uh, use org Apache mm -hmm. Log4j in Reload4j. So it's the same package mm -hmm. name as as well. So this is the, one of the properties of, oh, you can fork. Mm -hmm. You can fork a project as is, and that's what I have done with Reload4j. So you just remove Log4j1 from your dependencies, you mm -hmm. replace it with Reload4j, and it's exactly the same. Okay. It's not even refactored. It's the same 
It's the same. Code. And you did it because uh, it disappeared from from Apache D log for J one. No, because uh, the 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 um, the project mem management committee of uh, of Log4j they decided not to maintain uh, Log4j one anymore. Okay. So even security bugs were not uh, security vulnerabilities were not fixed. Whereas Reload4j fixes security vulnerabilities in Log4j. Yeah, and the problem is if they decided, you know, that the project is on hold, is basically dead for Apache. This is the problem, right? So you, you cannot contribute to log4j1. Exactly. Exactly. So that's what we tried. We tried to resuscitate log4j1. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of us, a couple of maintainers and the uh, the project management committee said uh, no, uh, log4j1 is EOL end of life since 2015 and the decision was reaffirmed uh, January 2006 of January 2022 and that was it. So we had to take it outside. But this is yeah, I don't like to judge it, but this is a not optimal situation or decision, right? This is what, what, I mean, because if this is that important, the library, and is it still used, I mean, some patches could be, right? I mean... Uh, I think the, 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 the thing is, they, I mean, this of course makes sense. This is what everybody does. Uh, if you have an old version of your library, you can always say, and of course, log4j1, and log4j2 are very yeah. different. I mean, um, it's much easier to say, oh, you have a problem in log4j1, please migrate to log4j2. Yeah. Okay. Um, so log4j2 was created by a different uh, contributor. Was your lots of log4j code one code reused or also clean room implementation? I don't know. Okay, interesting. I, you don't know it because it would be interesting. Okay. But, but, but I, I can say when I read Log4j2, I don't understand it. So, uh, okay. So it's quite different. Um, so um, now, of course, there was, you know, the uh, the security issue with Log4j, but I assume this was a Log4j2, right? Yes. So how many people ping you and ask, you know, uh, I think there was lots of confusion for you, right? So if you, you get a lot of security problems and they meant, you know, it's something you have something to do, but you have absolutely nothing to do with it, right? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> and, and I would say, and... So, uh, so the the log uh, the log for shell uh, CVE um, <clears throat> the the real how can I say the uh, the vulnerability is so severe because you can actually inject a message mm -hmm. a text mm -hmm. message and if it contains a certain uh, certain incantation it gets interpreted and it gets you get a GNDI call and, and so on. And this is the reason why Log4j2 was created. So as, mm -hmm. as I mentioned earlier, so in, uh, in 2010, Ralph Gors and some other people, he wasn't mm -hmm. alone, some other people suggested that we should do uh, message interpolation. Mm -hmm. And I resisted, resisted to that idea because I didn't see the, the, the use case and it seemed... Uh, it seemed uh, too too much. And imagine if if um, log4shell vulnerability was in SLF4j, mm -hmm. right? Because if you look at the at the uh, distribution of logging frameworks, so there is log4j one, which is used by thirty percent of or thirty five percent of uh, projects. Uh, there's logback, which is used in fifty percent of projects mm -hmm. worldwide. And log4j2 is maybe 10%, mm -hmm. right? So if the vulnerability was introduced in SLF4j, 
the the impact would have been ten times worse yep. than what we know with log four J two. It would, it would have been much much worse. So I'm so it it was a you no. Know, I could have said you know why not have more functionality? So it makes sense there were people who are voluntary mm-hmm. volunteering to maintain it. I could have taken the easy road and. I've kind of resisted by luck. You know, I could have, I could have uh, uh, gone, it could have gone the other mm-hmm. way. It could have been, you know, it makes sense. Let's, let's incorporate this, inco- incorporate this functionality. Mm-hmm. And history would have been different. The interesting part is, you know, uh, uh, your goal was to be completely static and simpler. So this is why you created SL4J in both, both ways, right? The first way was, uh, don't rely on the content of the message. And the second second one, you wanted to remove the dynamic dynamic lookups or bindings in uh, Jakarta Commons <laughs> logging. So you were uh, no just create simple simple stuff. Um, this is why maybe the the log for shell issue was not as severe because uh, you know the, the log for J one is very old. Uh, log for J two, I mean, is this uh, uh, only affected? Log4j2 is affected, and, and the older libraries were, were using Log4j1, which is really old, which means, you know, unpatched software were you know, likely used the older library, Log4j, or, you know, the newer, which is more popular, the simple uh, the SL4j, and uh, this like situation, which is not that uh, clear, maybe, to the outside world, the relation between Log4j1 and Log4j2. This is unfortunate that they're actually complete different uh, frameworks, which reminds me Angular 1 and Angular 2 is the same situation, right? They, are, they, they have nothing to do with each other. And uh, yeah, this was actually an interesting part. And now with the reload, you you, you do actually the, the work you are, yeah, you are, you are making you know, the uh, Log4j framework usable again under different name and you get they got like more hardened version of, of log4j1 right so yes that's that's correct and I should add that the the severity of the vulnerability in log4j1 and log4j2 on paper if you know from a 10,000 feet point of view they're quite similar but in practice they're completely different mm-hmm. they're I mean the severity so I think uh, there's this there's this notation uh, by, by the people who maintain CVEs, the, the vulnerability in, in log4j1 is, has the notation 8 or something mm-hmm. out of 10, and uh, the log4j2 one has a severity of 10 over 10. But in reality, um, to, to um, uh, gain access uh, through the vul- log4j1 vulnerability, you need to have access to the configuration What, what is now the vulnerability okay. in log4j1? Maybe you can briefly... Uh, so you can there there are several ones. So the most severe one, uh, severe between quotes, um, uh, is if you write, uh, you can write in inside the log4j one configuration properties file configuration file. You can directly uh, write the the GNDI name of uh, of an attacker. Mm-hmm. Of a of a corrupt site, and if you re, you have to relaunch your application mm-hmm. after having after modifying having modified the properties file, and it would connect your application would connect to, to that corrupt mm-hmm. site, and the corrupt site would gain access to your mm-hmm. uh, um, executive access mm-hmm. uh, execution access to your to your file. Whereas the log4j two one is somebody writes 
a, a, a config message mm -hmm. with a GNDI mm -hmm. uh, uh, incantation. And if that message is logged, and usually it, it is, they gain access to your app mm -hmm. here, to your mm -hmm. machine, which is completely yeah. different, right? For example, uh, imagine the case of um, Minecraft. So this game, this game, they use Log4j2, and they logged messages, uh, uh, chat messages between users. So you have a, a, a normal uh, user of your game, they write a message calling a GNDI incantation. This gets logged on by the uh, Minecraft server, and they gain access to your machine. Whereas if they had used Log4j1, somebody within Minecraft would have to manipulate the properties file inside the mine, mine, uh, Minecraft uh, server, mm -hmm. which is completely, completely different. Uh, I, I mean, this is... Yeah, maybe it is vulnerability, but I'm saying all my project is pointless because, uh, as I said, we are packaging, you know, the enterprise apps. And for me, the we have no difference between the configuration and Java code. So we are testing yes. everything. Everything is committed at once. And it will be the same as saying, yeah, Java is vulnerable because you could, you know, write Java class with HTTP 11 client downloads from something. And, and I mean, this is stupid. Yeah, of course, I can misconfigure, you know, if I misconfigure the database, it can connect, you know, with command and uh, how to call it command and uh, forget what the name is, command and actions or whatever server. And, you know, instead of communicating with my database, I will communicate with different database. So for me, it is obvious that if you have access to the machine and to the configuration, you can do, you know, dangerous things. But uh, I think for all my projects, this is not even would be considered as security problem that you can misconfigure log4j1 to connect to a to to a server which doesn't belong to you, you know this is like, I mean this is pointless I would say, but so okay so let me I can tell you an anecdote yeah. it's a it's a real one that happened to me so when this this during December of two thousand twenty one, back also uses uh, a GMS appender, mm -hmm. and it's exactly the same case as log 4 j one right? You have to have access to the configuration file. So somebody, uh, a Chinese person, mm -hmm. or somebody claiming to be Chinese, they sent a, POC, a, point of, uh, a proof of concept mm -hmm. uh, uh, CV to me, and they said, okay, imagine somebody had access to the configuration mm -hmm. file. This is what they could do. And I said, yeah, this is... This could be quite bad as long as they have access to the configuration file. And they said, okay, but there are other bugs which allow access to the configuration file or to any arbitrary file, but not to binary files. And this is like was, okay, so this in some certain cases, you can do escalate, escalation of, of vulnerabilities. You have one vulnerability which gives you access to another vulnerability, and then it leads to a, to a, a code execution remote code execution. I said, okay, this is, yeah, this, this, this is uh, something that needs to be considered. So I filed a report with the Swiss uh, response, vulnerability response mm -hmm. team in Bern, the, the capital of Switzerland. And they wrote back to me and they said, no, I, this is not a problem. Yeah. You know? I said, yeah, but it could be a problem. Please give me a number. So they assign you a number, right? It's an international number. They said, no, we've talked about this in, in, within our experts, and they, we decided that it was not a, it was not a vulnerability. 
And I said, no, please give me, I need the number to officialize this. Give me the number. And this, this ping pong took a few days. And at the end, they said, okay, we don't think it's a vulnerability, but as the software author, you have the last word. It's your decision. Do you really want a number? I said, yes, please give me a number. And they gave it to me, of course. And yeah. What would be interesting is, what would we change if the log4j would not be configured in XML, but you could use a Java, you know, DSL to configure it? Because then the configuration becomes a part of the application. And the, the question is, yes. is it still now, you know, security problem or no more? But uh, at the at the end, you have you know you have like configuration layer, and whether you use XML parsing, JSON parsing, YAML parsing, or Java DSL, it should be the same outcome. So this is what what uh, what really interesting conversation because I, in my project again we package everything you know statically. We never change something in production. It's not allowed if we have you know a new commit causes new release, and the the XML as there is no way to change the XML, and. Uh, I only saw once in a project what I tried to do, but it never worked. This was this was funny. So what I tried to do with log4j1, they had a thread in a war, which uh, you know just pulled the configuration of the of the log4j, uh, and if something changed, they could reload the entire log4j. So this is what I did. I saw this in code review. But the interesting part is the XML in Java was inside a war. And I say, okay, mm. how you can do this? Because you cannot, from outside, you know, change the war and replace the file. But there was no answer because, you know, the project was already in production and the architect was gone. So this was the only, 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 you know, instance I saw. And now anecdote to you. This is somehow related. So one project used a lot, you know, Jelly, Jelly XML, Apache? Yeah, yes. yeah this was like XML uh, programming language. It was, maybe one was based on Jelly. And... um in one project, they have incredible amount of XML configuration. In Java was famous, I don't know, 15 years ago, that everything can be configurable, you know, dynamic uh, factories and class one name, new instance, and so forth. And I say, this is just stupid. Why are you writing, you know, everything is static and everything can be configurable in XML in your project? It's like strange. And they told me, yes, because from the quality uh, perspective, quality assurance perspective, if they change the configuration, they don't have to retest the application. So, you know, what mm -hmm. they did is they wrote more and more configuration code, you know, to omit the, you know, costly uh, quality assurance process. But then I told them, if you are that, this, this is your strategy, you know, remove Java entirely and write just Jelly, so you never will have to test the application. Oh, this was also an anecdote. And they thought about this, and this was a half joke, how, how truth, but this is what can happen. But I would say log4j1, interesting that we talk about security. For me, it is not a security problem at all. And uh, log4j2, or at all, from my understanding, what they told me right now, or this, it wouldn't affect my projects. Um, what, what, you know what could happen if you have a cloud-like provider with a single XML configuration and lots of applications, you know, and the administrator has access to the log4j1 configuration, but this would be terrible architecture. I would say this is this cannot be. But... Um, and log4j2 is, of course, severe because uh, the messages are interpreted and all interpreters are problematic, always, you know. The interpretation of PDF, even MP4 or whatever is always a problem with security. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... So, I... I I, I don't want to belabor on this on this point because I, I mostly agree with you, but in, in my position, I cannot discount... No, uh, no. Security Different. claims, yeah. right? So I have to take it seriously, even if the probability is very yeah, sure. small. 
if the probability exists, I cannot yeah, ignore it. It is it. just my egoistic, you know, enterprise uh, backend <laughs> point of view. And uh, if I would be cloud provider, different story. It's just you know, everyone has a specific right. use, and this is interesting. And um, I asked the question already, but. Do you get lots of emails, you know, because people suspect that you have something to do with the log4j uh, two bug, or no? Or they know that this is you are not. Uh... No, I did, didn't get. Uh, okay, no. interesting. No, no not okay. at all. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. It was uh, very interesting. We covered now the entire history of logging in Java, almost right. Yes, we have, and this history continues. And so I, I, I don't know if I will get the chance to talk again. But I'd like to maybe add like, a word. I would uh, like to talk with you again. So if you have, if you would like, if you say this history continues, we schedule a meeting and we'll talk about the the continuity. We can, we can do that. So let me just uh, say something about this. Uh, uh, what happened subsequent to uh, to, to the uh, log for shell attack? Mm -hmm. Some, actually, something changed in the sense that people started contributing or making donations to open source projects, namely my, my, my projects, the QS.ch projects. Um, so Google uh, sponsored uh, uh, security reviews, mm -hmm. uh, uh, several, not that many actually, but larger companies, they sponsor our projects at, uh, on GitHub. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned um, the sovereign uh, tech fund, and and this this makes it quite a big difference. I mean, if you can actually live uh, via uh, investments in open source projects, and it doesn't take that much money because we have like millions of users, mm -hmm. right? And if even a very small proportion of users said, "Okay, let's you know make some donation or make some," it would make a huge difference. And I hope that uh, the Sovereign Tech Fund will kind of open the way for uh, for other projects to be uh, uh, sponsored by or invested by uh, corporations because so much of our infrastructure is based on open source software and this software is not being helped by anyone, right? Uh, I mean, my as monetary-wise. Yeah, my yeah, personal opinion about that is for years, actually, is the following. Open source, to use open source, is not free. So you have two choices. You have no dependencies and you create everything in-house from scratch, but you will have to maintain the code. If you use an open source library from outside, the cost is at least to keep it up to date. So you have to think about every open source dependency and you will have you know, to increase you know, the version and uh, always work against the recent version and you need someone to care about that. Or, if this is an important uh, dependency, then from my point of view, you have to decide either some, someone in-house cares about the dependencies and has you know, the overview when to patch what and which implication it has, or you hire external company which does it for you and you pay them to maintain the open source, uh, the open source uh, library. Um, the, the biggest thing which I did in this direction was back then Glassfish. It was an open source, I don't know whether you're aware you heard about this, it was an open source uh, Java e application from, server from Sun Microsystems. And um, at the same time, it was the reference implementation, but you could buy support from Sun. And I said, okay, if you, this is a critical part of your infrastructure. If you use the open source version, before I patch it for you, I am not the committer from Glassfish. I would hire Sun Microsystems. 
and you have you have you should have contract with them because they are the committers. If you find a bug, you can report the bug and they will patch it for you. And the cool story is, if if you let's say I'm using logback, and I find you know an 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 an, an problem in 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 the code in my local fork of of logback, uh, or I said it already. I'm creating a, a fork, which has to be maintained by the company. But if I hire a company, I would have understood QoS.ch. You would, for instance, provide me, you know, with logback support or whatever. If I ask, I guess. So if I ask you, I get two things. First, you understand me immediately because you are the committer, and we are we don't have a fork. So it means, you know, my idea, my contribution lands in a central location, and this central location is maintained for everyone. So and this is. What has to be understood so that I would say open source in no cases for serious software is free. And by paying open source contributors, you can actually save money and time. So this is my point of view. Yes, I, I absolutely. But in practice, it doesn't happen. I mean, I've had cases at large enterprises, which I shall not name. But in, in for example, regarding Log4j1 uh, and reload for, reload for j they were like begging for support. I, I, literally, they were like explaining how much it would cost them mm-hmm. to uh, if the reload for J wasn't there and so on. I said, okay, so you can buy support, and I started helping them. And at one point, uh, they when they were reassured that reload for J would actually uh, help their use case, uh, their, their their problems, uh, migrating. From log4j1 to reload4j is trivial. Mm-hmm. You just have to change the uh, the, mm-hmm. uh, the group ID in, in Maven, and it's you're done. Uh, <clears throat> so, and when it came time to pay, they didn't. Oh, and it's like a very large company, and yeah. So this is what in, in practice this is what happens. People who corporations who pay, they find an excuse not to pay. This is not always the case, but it it, it happens a lot, and I think uh, yeah, uh, I hope that the mentalities will change. Uh, and and you have to you know demand more money. So uh, you say okay now now send me in advance you know this and then we talk about because it's critical infrastructure. So you have to be more aggressive. Don't be too nice, you know, yes. to the to, yeah, to the yeah, companies. Yeah, this I, is maybe uh, also a problem. There's open source contributors. We should. Sell better our services. That that is precisely. I think that's precisely true. But at the same time, if the the software is quite uh, the documentation is good and the uh, not too hard to understand and not too hard to use, you don't actually need the support, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Hey, it was perfect. So anyway, I would like to invite yeah. you back and talk about you know the future, whatever you're doing. It was a nice conversation and more open source software now in total. So um, it was really an interesting discussion, and uh, I learned you know I didn't knew that log 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 back natively implements SL4J. So this was uh, actually a nice finding, and uh, yeah, thank you. Well, thank you, Adam. Nice, nice. Have a nice. Uh, it was a very nice conversation. Thank you. <laughs>